just a delight to be here and share with you Christ and the Passover as a representative of Jews for Jesus. I'm Jewish. I grew up in a traditional Jewish home, an Orthodox Jewish home, and I celebrated Passover all my life, as did my parents before me and their parents before them, for it was established that the Jewish people celebrate Passover forever. And part of celebrating Passover meant to see it as a festival of redemption. Are we working here? Am I hitting it in the right place? It's not moving. You want to move it from there? Magic. Okay. Um, And Festival of Redemption for me was to remember um, our freedom out of slavery in Egypt and the fact that Moses was our deliverer um, and, and our redeemer. But then as a young adult, I came to faith in Jesus Christ, and my celebration of Passover changed. It was still the Festival of Redemption, next slide, but it was also a look at redemption in the truest sense with Jesus as the Redeemer, as the one who frees us from slavery, not uh, to um, a country or a people, but to to ourselves, to the sin within us and freedom in him uh, through the forgiveness we have through Christ. And so what I'd like to do this morning is take you through the Passover, share with you some of the highlights of the traditional feast, and then bring it back home to us as believers as to what it means for us to follow the Lord, uh, the one who is the Lamb of God. And a good place to start is in the scripture. And so I'm going to read to you a portion uh, from Exodus chapter 12, which is the preparation for the Passover. Next slide. I'm beginning in verse uh, 5 of uh, chapter 12, where Moses instructs the people of Israel. It says, uh, your lamb is to be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must, must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. They are to take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the cross beam of the houses where they will eat it. They are to eat the meat that night, roasted over a fire with matzah and bitter herbs. They are to eat it. Um, and then um, going on to verse um, um, 11, and also you are to eat it this way with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, so there will be no plague among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you. You are to keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to keep it as an eternal ordinance. And so it is to this day that Jewish people observe the Passover. Please, next slide. Um, And the way we do is through the reading of the Haggadah. You want to say that word with me? Haggadah. It means the telling or the retelling of the story of Passover. And if you would imagine this as a dining room table in your home, 
and a book like this in each of the place settings. Um, it's called the Haggadah, and each person has one, and we go through the whole service of Passover by uh, going through this book. Uh, it dates back to around the time of the Babylonian captivity, around 586 B.C., and it includes, in addition to the Exodus account itself, special songs that are sung, um, the uh, commentaries by the rabbis, and the seder, or the order of the service. Now, I think we passed out amongst you a mini Haggadah that looks like this, and there should be enough for you to, to share them uh, between you, uh, because we'll be using little portions of this as I take you through the Passover. The next slide. Um, of course, uh, to begin the celebration, uh, we need to light the candles, and this is the role of the woman in the house. You'll notice in the Haggadah you have there are blessings. The first blessing is over the candles. And now if the woman at the house is married, she covers her head. I'm single, but I think it's more dramatic looking this way. <laughs> and I think it's also appropriate that it is the woman who brings light to the festival of redemption. For it wasn't through the will of man, nor the seed of man, that he who is the light of the world came into the world, but it was through the will of God and the seed of the woman. And in this way, I believe all women are honored and blessed. And I'm going to give you the, the blessing over the candles. You'll notice there are two in your brochure. The first one is traditional. It talks about being sanctified by the commandments to kindle the festival light. But as a believer in Jesus, my sanctification isn't in the commandments. It's in him. And so we in Jews for Jesus came up with an alternative blessing, which is the second one. And as I said, I'll chant it in Hebrew first, and then maybe we can say it together in English. It goes like this. Baruch HaKadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu, Be'yeshua HaMashiach, Or HaOlam. Amen. And then in English, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us through Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. And our Passover now has officially begun. Now, if this were being done in an Orthodox Jewish home, it would take about four hours to complete. But I understand the Cantonese service starts at a certain time. We have to be out of here. And so I'm going to abbreviate a bit for you, okay? Um, it can all be paced, though, by four cups that are taken in the course of the Passover. Uh, each one is given a name. It's actually one cup in front of each place setting that's refilled three times. And again, a blessing is said over it. This the first one is called the cup of sanctification or the Kiddush. And it goes like this. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Hagafen, Amen. And in English, that's, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has um, created the fruit of the vine. Well, We've begun our Passover. The Haggadah, remember, was what? 
the telling of the story. And if this is a telling, it's up to someone to ask the questions. And therefore, we come to a special part of the service for, in the scriptures, it says, when you shall come into the land and your children shall ask you, why do you do these things? Then you shall tell them it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. So there's a special role for the children in the Passover. They get to ask the head of the house, usually the grandfather who presides, and all of his children and their children sit at the table. And this, you know, the youngest child gets up, and he asks what's called the Manish Tana. And uh, that's the four questions. And so um, they go like this. And in the brochure, it shares the four questions. The first is, why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we eat unleavened bread? On all other nights, we eat all manner of herbs. Why on this night do we eat only bitter herbs? On all other nights, we do not even dip the herbs once. Why on this night do we dip them twice? On all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. Why on this night do we recline? And you'll notice that there are pillows or cushions on each of the seats up here. And this is so that we can be in a reclined position when we celebrate the Passover. You'll recall when Jesus celebrated Passover with his disciples, they reclined at the table. This was to contrast the very first Passover, which was eaten, as I read, standing up, staff in hand, sandals on their feet, ready for a hasty departure out of the land. But because God did save us, he did redeem us, we are to be in a restful position when we eat it today. So, uh, parents, this is the one uh, day of the year when your kids can sit at the table and slouch, and it's permissible. It's actually I- important that they do so. They are to recline. The, uh, the other items are all on this table that help tell the Passover story. The first of which is the unleavened bread, or a matzah. Um, you know, uh, next slide. Unleavened bread is uh, is is key to celebrating Passover. We're to eat it for all days of Passover. The home is prepared so that there's no leaven left in it. Uh, no dishes or utensils are used that have touched leaven for the whole of the time of Passover. And a special pouch sits on the Passover table called a matzah tash. Matzah is the Hebrew word for unleavened bread. A tash means a pocket or a pouch. And it's an interesting pouch because it has one two, three separate compartments to it. And this three-compartment pouch is also called a unity by the rabbis. But it's an interesting unity. Um, What do those three compartments symbolize? Well, some rabbis say that they they symbolize the um, patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Others say that they symbolize Jewish uh, worship, the priests, the Levites, their helpers, and the congregation of Israel. And in each of these compartments is one wafer of the unleavened bread. But what happens in the service at this point, which makes both of those theories not to work for me, really, is that the center wafer of the unleavened bread is removed. It's broken. And then it's given a new name. It's called the Afikomen, or that which comes after. 
It's wrapped in its own special uh, compartment of white linen and buried for a time to be brought back from its place of burial later in the service. Now, think about that with me. A three-in-one unity. The middle uh, wafer of that unity is taken out. It's broken. It's wrapped in white linen. It's buried and then brought back later. To me, it certainly symbolizes a different unity, and that is the unity of God. We can move on with those slides. Um, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so as um, we think of that unity, the one that is unleavened, that is without sin, Jesus certainly comes to mind when I think of that middle wafer of the matzah. Uh, We can keep moving. Uh, In addition to the unleavened bread, we have um, other items that need to be described to answer the children's questions. And they're put on a special plate called a Seder plate. Uh, Seder means order, and there are six compartments to this plate. This is not a deviled egg plate, okay? Um, And uh, the items have been so nicely prepared for me here at the church, and I'm going to explain each one that helps tell the story. The first one is called carpus. These are greens, and the greens are meant to symbolize life, and everyone at the table takes a sprig of the greens, This is parsley. Dips it into salt water, which represents tears, and eats it. And in this way, we're to remember that a life without redemption is a life immersed in tears. The next item on the Seder plate is a bitter root. And here we have an onion. You can use a horseradish root as well. It's called chazeret in Hebrew. And this is to remind us that the root of life is bitter. And this just remains on the plate. The third item is the ground-up bitter herb itself. This is freshly ground horseradish. Um, It's ground the morning of the evening it's eaten, so it's particularly strong. And with a small piece of the unleavened bread, some of the horseradish is taken and eaten. Now, um, I'm not going to demonstrate this for you this morning, Uh, because I want to be able to finish the presentation. Um, But I can tell you that that much horseradish at once will produce a certain physiological reaction. And what happens is your eyes will start to tear. And in this way, we're to remember the tears that our ancestors shed when they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Uh, But after we take of this very um, uh, uh, bitter mixture, maror, we take of the next one, which is very sweet, called charosis. Charosis. It's the Hebrew letter chet, which begins in the back of your throat, like kind of like the German ach. And it's a reddish brown in color. It's made up of chopped up apples and nuts and honey and uh, cinnamon and sometimes a little manischewitz in there too. And it's kind of a reddish brown to be the color of the mortar by which we made the bricks for Pharaoh's storage cities. And sometimes it's asked of the rabbis, if this represents our hard labor in the land of Egypt, why is it so sweet to the taste? Ah, they replied, when we knew that our redemption was close at hand, even the bitterest of labor was sweet to the taste. 
And then the next item on the Seder plate uh, should remind you of a holiday we recently celebrated, Easter. And the egg uh, in, in Passover is called Hagiga. The egg represents the morning sacrifice in the temple. It's a roasted egg over an open fire. And uh, it was a joyous symbol in Judaism until 70 A.D. And then what happened? The temple was destroyed, remember? And so there was no longer a place of sacrifice. And so now when the egg is eaten at Passover, it's cracked and sliced, dipped into the salt water, which represents tears as a symbol of mourning for the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But of course for us, this is a joyous symbol. It's a symbol of resurrection and the fact that the temple was rebuilt in three days. Now, the final item on the Seder plate is a bone. It's not any bone. It's called uh, Zeroah in Hebrew, and it's the shank bone of a lamb, and it's there to remind us of God's provision in ancient Egypt. Um, we tell the story of Passover at this point of how, as a people, we were in bondage, we were in slavery, and we cried to the Lord to help us, and God sent Moses as our deliverer. And then we recount the story of how Moses uh, uh, was uh, encountered by God at the burning bush and how God spoke to him and said, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles. We then talk about the plagues, the ten plagues that were poured out upon the uh, land of Egypt and how Pharaoh had hardened his heart. And then the scripture actually says God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Um, and for the first nine plagues, the Jewish people were exempt. When there was blood and frogs and hail and boils and all those things, we didn't suffer at all in Goshen. But the tenth plague and the most deadly of all did not exempt the Jews. And that was the death of the firstborn of both man and beast. Yet God did provide a means of escape, and that was through a lamb. And it wasn't any lamb. The people were to take a male lamb, a yearling lamb, an unblemished lamb. And that lamb was to be sacrificed. Its blood drained into a basin. The lamb itself was to be roasted and eaten whole, no bones broken. The blood of the lamb, however, uh, from that basin was soaked up with some hyssop, which was a plant. When everyone went into the house, the blood was then taken and struck onto the side posts of the door where the lamb was eaten and the cross beam with the lentil at the top the two side posts, the cross beam, and the remaining blood probably in the basin would have been left at the foot of the door. In a sense, sealing that door with a bloody cross. And the scripture says, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And of course, on that night, death came touching a household here, claiming a soul there, but wherever the blood of the spotless lamb was affixed to the doorpost of the house, death passed over, hence the name of the holiday, Passover. And we tell this story each year like we're hearing it for the first time. It's so exciting to know what God has done. Um, but after we have done that, we take of the second cup, and that cup is actually fittingly called the cup of plagues. Uh, to remember the ten plagues poured out upon the Egyptians. But in Judaism, a full cup 
is considered a cup of joy. And we're not to take joy in the suffering of others. And so we take our pinky finger and we take one drop of the fruit of the vine out for each of the ten plagues or ten drops so that we diminish our joy by the sorrow of others. And after taking of the second cup, we clear the table. It's time to have an actual Passover meal. And it is quite a meal. But like I said, we have another service coming, so I can't feed you a meal this morning. Uh, but I am sure you could uh, make a really good meal yourself um, that would uh, fit any Passover dinner. Uh, I do want to take part with you in a little juice for Jesus ceremony at this point. However, uh, if I can't give you a meal, it's called the Juice for Jesus Tearing of the Card Ceremony. And you'll notice you were given a card when you came in in your bulletin that has a perforation on it. And we're going to count, at the count of three, all tear on the perforation together. I'm going to do this in Hebrew, and I think you'll know when to tear, okay? Echad, Stein, Shalosh. See, you're learning Hebrew already. This is good. Uh, the smaller part is a prayer reminder card and a, something to just remember Jews for Jesus. It's got our um, Facebook uh, page and our Twitter page on it and local phone number for our Toronto office. And just to pray for what God is doing uh, among the Jewish people, not only uh, here but um, uh, around the world. Next slide. Um, uh, that's the picture of me uh, in Israel. Uh, our largest work of Jews for Jesus was going on in Israel and Tel Aviv. We have uh, over 30 full-time missionaries. Um, wonderful story, real briefly. Uh, just uh, uh, two weeks ago, we had a big photo exhibit at what we call our Rosen Center, which is our outreach um, uh, facility that we bought in Tel Aviv. It's, it's in that kind of a hip district of Tel Aviv, and we do art shows there, and um, and we've even had like garage sales in the in it and all kinds of things. And we have um, a nice like barista set up. And anyway, we we did this uh, photo exhibit of um, Israelis in India, which is where many travel to. And we had over 200 Israeli seekers come uh, to our building, and we were able to initiate over 30. Um, Bible studies one-on-one -on -one with out of those 200 people who came and others who are still in contact with us. And I say that because sometimes you hear about Israel in the news and you think things are so bleak there, but there is a spiritual receptivity and openness, particularly among a younger generation. Our staff there is all real young. The head of our work there is 34, and he's the oldest one there. And um, most of our staff are in their 20s, and... They connect so well with other young Israelis, and, um, and we're just seeing decisions um, every, every week, and that's pretty exciting. So um, pray for our work in Israel and elsewhere, and if you'll notice the larger part of this card, uh, is for you to fill out, we can keep you informed not only on what Jews for Jesus is doing in Israel, but here in Canada. And um, I also want to offer you a, a special gift from Jews for Jesus if you fill the card out and check off the boxes that are appropriate. And there will be an offering taken in just a few minutes, but you don't have to give in the offering to get this gift. And that is 
we're often asked when we do the Passover presentation, what about the other feasts of Israel and their connection uh, for us as Christians? And we just did this booklet up entitled The Roadmap to Christ in the Seven Feasts. And it really outlines all of the seven feasts in Leviticus 23. We go through them and show the, the Christian connection. And um, we will send one per household to you if you um, give us a, a, your mailing address to send it to. And that's just a gift from Jews for Jesus. Um, the, uh, the offering will go toward our missionary work, um, reaching Jews in 14 countries and 26 cities where we have branches. And, um, and we just ask uh, Pastor Don if he might come up now or will someone come up to do that because I don't want to leave that matzah buried. I will get back to it in just a few moments. I'm sorry, it must have gone by pretty quickly. 
but the next slide, after the meal, and that's what a typical Passover dinner table looks like. After the meal, the attention focuses back on the head of the house. The third cup is poured, and remember the matzah that we buried. It's taken from its place of burial, and an invitation is given to everyone at the table. It goes like this. This is the bread of affliction, the poor bread which our ancestors ate when we were slaves in the land of Egypt. Then we were slaves, now we are free. All who hunger, come and eat of it. See, somehow there is something in this bread that has the power to change slaves into free people. And the bread is broken into pretty much olive-sized pieces distributed to each person at the table. Olive size, because that's what the rabbis said was the smallest item of food you could say a blessing over. And is taken together with the third cup. That cup is called the cup of redemption. And it is these two elements that Jesus used in what we know as the Last Supper, where he took the bread, the matzah, and he broke it. And he said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And he said in the same manner after the supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. The bread of affliction, the cup of redemption. And he didn't take the cup of sanctification or the cup of plagues or the cup of praise to come, but the cup of redemption in pointing to his shed blood. And the bread of affliction, the poor bread, the middle wafer of the matzotash that was broken, buried, and then brought back from its place of burial. I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking sitting around that table when he did that. But they had been celebrating this in a certain way for years and years. And he gave it all its deeper and fuller meaning in himself and what was about to be accomplished at Calvary. In uh, the scriptures we read that they, uh, they sang a hymn and went out, but uh, there were actually a number of psalms that were sung from Psalms uh, 113 through 118, which are the Hallel Psalms. Um, and uh, one of the verses in that Psalm 118 is, you know, the, the, the verse about, you know, how the, the cornerstone, the great cornerstone verse. And, and here is Jesus. <laughs> Uh, the one who is the cornerstone. Um, we then, after the Hallel Psalms, have the cup of Hallel, the cup of praise, which is the uh, fourth cup, uh, with the blessing again. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Pri Amen. And then you'd think the Passover was over, but it is not quite over because there's actually a fifth cup. And the fifth cup is called the cup of Elijah. You see, in Jewish tradition, it's thought that Elijah the prophet would come at Passover time. It's not in the scriptures, but we have a seat for him at the table that no one sits at, a cup that's filled that no one drinks from. And at the end of the service, a child is sent to the door of the home to open the door to see if Elijah is there. Because we do know from the book of Malachi that when Elijah returns, he will usher in that great and terrible day of the Lord. And so there is an, a kind of a messianic expectation 
that we want to see Elijah come at Passover because we know Messiah will be coming soon after. Um, we sing a special song, Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbite, come and usher in Mashiach ben David, Messiah the son of David. And uh, the door is open, but oftentimes the child just walks back very disappointed because no one is on the other side of the door. And yet one did come. He came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah, and Jesus said of him that he would have been Elijah to us had we let him. His Hebrew name was Yochanan, but you know him better as John the Baptist, a man dressed in animal skins, eating honey and locusts, and preaching a powerful message to the people. He said, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as he preached that message one day, scripture records uh, his cousin Jesus' approach. He was down by the Jordan, and there came Jesus, and John said these very prophetic words. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And let me tell you, any Jewish person who had been through the Passover understood what John meant when he said that. See, we were waiting for the Messiah to come, for sure. We were in bondage to Rome. We wanted a king Messiah who was going to ride in on his white horse and set us free. But there was also a picture in scripture painted of the suffering Messiah, the lowly Messiah, the Messiah who opened not his mouth but was obedient to death, even the death of the cross, so that we could pass over from spiritual death to new life. See, unlike the Lamb of old whose blood was just enough to save the firstborn son in the Israelite household, God himself sent his only son to die for you and I. His blood shed flowed all the way back in history and all the way forward so that it could cover the doorposts of our hearts so that we could know new life. We could know forgiveness of sin. Christ, our Passover, as the Apostle Paul said, was sacrificed for us. It's my prayer as uh, you... Uh, take part in communion in the months uh, ahead that you remember some of these details of the Passover um, and that first last supper and realize this great work of redemption God has done in your life and may it be so in the lives of many others, Jews and Gentiles. Amen.